so glad to see you this morning. We're excited. Great opportunity to be able to worship together as we make much of the King, just as we sung about this morning. And so, so glad to see you. My name's Zach. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're visiting with us, so glad that you're here with us today. I just want to encourage you, if you've got a moment, there's a card in the seat back pocket. Uh, we just encourage you to fill it out. We'd love to connect with you. If you're visiting, we have a gift for you out in the lobby. We'd love to get to know you and visit with you for a little bit immediately following worship today. And then as well, our, our tithes and offerings, there's the, the places in the front and the back that you can put those or give online. Just encourage you to do that. But again, thank you so much for being here today. Let's pray and continue in worship. Father God, we come to you and God, we give you this time. God, you're worthy of every hour of every day to worship you. But God, we pray now as we've set aside this time specifically for the worship of your name. God, would you be here? Would you be in our midst? We stand as a people desperately in need of you. So God, would you move? Would you speak? Would you be big in our sight today? We love you. We praise you. And we pray all of this in Christ's name, amen.
declare because of it. In Jesus' name.
Well, amen. Thank you, band, for leading us this morning in worship. I'm excited to be able to stand and preach again. I appreciate Taylor preaching last week, a great message from Joshua 1 as we were kind of in between series. And so this week we're starting a new series asking the question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? So excited, as I've shared with many, many of you, I spent this past week or better part of this week in New Orleans and uh, was in a, stuck in a library for about 10 to 12 hours a day from Monday through Friday. So I'm excited to see people and not books. And so, so glad to see you here today. So what is the gospel? I found this story rather interesting, and it's a, you've probably heard this before, but there's a famous football coach by the name of Vince Lombardi. He's the guy that the Super Bowl trophy is named after because he won the first couple of them. Well, in 1961, before the Super Bowl came, became a thing, he was still coaching the Packers, and they had just come off of losing the NFL championship game to the Philadelphia Eagles. And then July rolled around and he gathered his team for their first meet, team meeting before camp started. And he gathers around his team. Now granted, these are grown men, professional athletes. These are men who have devoted their entire lives to the game of football. And he gathers them around for their first team meeting and they're excited, looking forward to what the season held. And as he's standing in front of them, he picks up a football and he looks at them and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. Just think about that for a second. These are grown men. They play the game of football. They literally just lost the NFL championship game, and yet their coach is standing before them going, gentlemen, this is a football. And to their surprise, they open up their playbooks, and what do they find? Intricate plays that they can run? No, they find diagrams of proper blocking and tackling. Why? Because what was Vince Lombardi trying to instill in his team? That the foundations and the fundamentals matter. In professional athletics, you don't get to a point where the fundamentals don't matter anymore. That's why if you were to go watch a college or NFL practice, you're going to see them doing drills like just working on their steps. They're still working on tackling. They're still working on throwing the ball. They're still working on the little things. Why? Because it's the little things that add up to big things. And when it comes to the Christian life, the most foundational and fundamental piece of the Christian life is understanding what the gospel is. But it's more than just the foundation or the fundamental part. It's everything that the Christian life is all about. You've heard it said before that the Christian life is not the diving board into the faith. The Christian life is the, sw or the gospel is the swimming pool that we jump into. It's not just the starting point. 
It's the race and the finish line. It's all the gospel. So what is the gospel? And so it's important for us to define the gospel because we want to be a church that is about the gospel. So what is the gospel? Simply put, the short definition, the Sunday school answer to the question is the gospel is good news. It's the good news. That's simply all that the word means is good news. But what makes it good news is that there's bad news that comes before it. If you were to come up to me and say, Zach, your granny is doing okay. That's great to hear. That's what I expected to hear, right? But if you were to say, Zach, your granny went to the hospital because she, she had a health incident and glad to tell you she's doing okay, that's good news. Why? Because there was some bad news that preceded it. And so what is the bad news? The bad news is that we are broken in our sin. And through the work of Christ, he comes to pay the debt that we owed. Why? So that we can be reconciled back to the Father. So that's why the gospel is good news. But the gospel is more than just a book in the Bible. It's more than just a biography of the life of Jesus. The gospel is all of Scripture. From the book of Genesis to the end of Revelation, the gospel is contained all throughout the entire canon of Scripture. And so here's what I believe the gospel is. The gospel is four movements in Scripture. It is creation, fall, redemption, consummation. That is the entirety of the gospel. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. So over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at each one of those. And so this morning we have creation. And so I invite you to turn your Bibles to Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2. We're not going to be looking at all of Genesis 1 and 2, just a few pieces. But as you're turning there, let's open up in a word of prayer. Father God, we come to you and we ask you to speak now during this time. God, help us to see more of you, a bigger picture of you, that we would honor and glorify you. And God will give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So Genesis 1 and 2 and this idea of creation, that this is the starting point of the gospel message. Genesis 1 and 2 beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Short, simple verse that we probably all heard. We probably all have this memorized. And if, we, if you didn't have it memorized before coming into today, you probably have it memorized now. Fairly simple. That in the beginning, so here we have the start of 
time itself, in the beginning, God. Notice it does not say that God came into existence. God is an eternal being. He did not come into existence in the beginning. In the beginning started and God was already there. God has eternally existed. It says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He didn't simply take existing matter and place it together. He created it himself. He created a theological term as ex nihilo, out of nothing. He didn't take pre-existing form and matter and mash it together into creation. But he simply, as we, we're not going to read it, but if we were to, were to read it, he simply speaks and things come to be. He simply says, let there be light. And what happens? Light. He simply speaks and things come into creation. Now, this is hard for us to wrap our minds around. We can't fathom this, can we? Because we can't speak and things just happen. Like if I was to go home this afternoon and just simply say, sandwich, a sandwich does not appear. As many times as I have tried it, it does not work. It doesn't happen. Why? Because I do not have the power to do that. I can take the bread and the lettuce, and I don't do tomatoes on sandwiches because that's gross. And the turkey and the cheese, not the mayonnaise because mayonnaise is gross. Some of you just wrote me off just then. (laughs) And I can assemble all of that together for a good sandwich. But what did I have to do? I had to take things that already existed and place them together in order to make the sandwich. God didn't do that. God simply spoke and he created. So everything comes about from God's creation. He speaks and it comes about. But then we skip down to verse 26 and 27. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So notice this. All of creation is coming about. God has spoken. Light comes about. God has spoken. Stars come into existence. God has spoken. Birds come about. When it comes to man, God pauses. When it comes to mankind, God pauses in this narrative in Genesis of how God is speaking and everything comes about into existence. But then he comes to man. He goes, this is different. He comes to mankind and he says, let us make man in our image. Now, this is important because if you read some critical scholars or Jewish commentaries, they're going to talk about this as simply a royal we, that God is talking about himself in the third person plural as some kind of 
elevated status. But I firmly believe, Mike, this is a conversation that's happening within the Trinity. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Nothing else in creation is like that. Nothing else in creation is in the image of God. If you look at a bear, that is not an image bearer of God. If you look at a dog, it is not an image bearer of God. And cats definitely are not an image bearer of God. Amen. But nothing else is. It is simply mankind that is an image bearer of God. What does that mean? That as an image bearer of God, there is intrinsic dignity, worth, and value that is elevated from the rest of creation. That if you were to go on a wild safari in Africa and you were to see a lion pounce on a gazelle, you would not call the cops. Why? Because that's what lions do. But what happens if you go to Walmart later, which is possible at Walmart, and you were to see someone attack someone else in the checkout line at Walmart? Again, entirely realistic scenario. That's different, right? That's not like the lion pouncing on the gazelle. Why? Because that's an image bearer of God going after another image bearer of God. There is a distinction that is made. So there's intrinsic worth and dignity and value. From the womb to the tomb, they are an image bearer of God. Nothing else in creation is that. Simply mankind is. So he says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And let them have dominion over the sea or over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Not only is there this distinction, if we were to read it in chapter 2, it goes into detail of how God created man, that he formed him out of the dust of the earth and breathed into him the breath of life. That God did not simply speak and mankind come into existence. But mankind not only is in the image of God, the imago Dei, mankind was formed. When it came to everything else, God simply spoke and it came into existence. But when it came to mankind, God paused, said, let us make man in our image, but then took time out of the dust of the earth like a potter dealing with clay and began to form man. There's something unique about mankind in creation. So he says, let us make man in our image. So God created man, God creates, but then point two, God commissions. Verse 28, 
and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So what does God do? He commissions them to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth and subdue it. That he has given them a task in creation. The mankind has a task, they have a commission. It says, and God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth and everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food and it was so and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So not only does God commission them to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to have dominion over the rest of creation, he also supplies them in this. He says, I've given you all of this to do this. I've provided this for you. That all of these things that you see, I have provided it to do this. So he commissions them. There is a task that is at hand that they were to engage in. So God creates, but then second, God commissions. Then third, God commands. Let's skip over to chapter 2, verse 15. Now, what's interesting as we make the shift from chapter 1 to chapter 2, chapter 1, chapter 2 can be kind of confusing because really chapter 1 is what's known as telescoping, that you're getting the entire picture of creation. So from the start of verse 1 all the way through the end of chapter 1, it's a telescope. It's everything that's happening in creation. But then we get to chapter 2, and what do we see? We see this insight into the creation of man. So chapter 1 is telescoping, chapter 2 is microscoping. It's zooming us in into God's interaction with mankind, which is also rather interesting because in chapter 2, you may see it in your Bible, we don't see the, in in English translations, it's oftentimes capitalized L-O-R-D, Lord. And it's translated that way because it's the proper name of Yahweh. It's his intimate, it's his personal name. It's the name that he gives Moses at the burning bush. And so we don't see it in chapter 1. But all of a sudden, when we get to chapter 2, we see the personal name of God given. If you look through your text, you'll see LORD in all capital letters. That's Yahweh. God. All of a sudden, God zooming in on his interaction with mankind begins to give this intimate look. So verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So God commands. They have a task. Going back to their commission we saw in chapter 1. Here we see it put another way that they are to work it and to keep it. 
I just want to pause here and just want you to notice that even in sinless perfection, there was still work to be done. That God still had purposes for them. That the goal of God, the, the, the Garden of Eden was not simply for them just to sit around and eat fruit all day. God still had purposes for them. He still had things he was seeking to achieve through them. So he puts them in the garden to work it and to keep it. He says, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God commands them. He gives them this standard of holiness, this standard of righteousness. But it's so interesting to me how we zoom in on verse 17 and we completely miss verse 16. You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden. Isn't it crazy how when God hones in on something and says you can't do that, that's entirely what we focus on? Like literally every other tree in the garden, you can partake of this. You can enjoy that tree. You can enjoy that tree. You can partake in that tree, but it's just this one. But God, that's the one I really want to enjoy. I know you've provided everything else for me. God, you've said yeah, I can partake in any of these other trees, but you've got to understand, I really, really want that one. What about the other 10,000 trees that I've said you can enjoy? How often do we do that in our own lives today? That we'll come across a passage where God forbids us from doing something. And we'll go, God, I really want to do that. What about the other 10,000 blessings that God has given for us to enjoy? We completely brush those to the side and go, who is God to take that from me? Who is God to put that on my life? And we completely forget all the other areas that God has given us for blessing, to provide for us, to meet our needs. And yet there's just this one area over here. So he says, of all these trees you can eat, but of this tree you shall not eat. Because when you do, you'll surely die. And so God commands them. So God creates, God commissions, God commands. But then lastly, God connects. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Notice this. As God goes throughout all of his creation, so in chapter 1, God speaks and these things come to be. God speaks, these things come to existence. And every single day, God reflects back and he says, it is good. But all of a sudden, there's Adam alone in the garden. And God looks at it and he goes, this is not good. Of everything else God had created, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. 
He sees Adam alone, and surely Adam had to wonder at some point. Like as he's naming the animals, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a boy giraffe and a girl giraffe. There's a boy lion, female lion. God, I'm, it, it's just me. Like surely questions had to come in at some point. But God looks at it and he says, this is not good. And so what does God do? He says, I will make a helper fit for him. Make a helper fit for him. That Adam needed someone to do life with him. He needed someone to come alongside him. He needed someone that was strong in the areas that he was weak. It says, now out of the ground, now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gives names to all livestock and to birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up in, in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken out of the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The man, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So what does God do? He again forms woman. He forms Eve for Adam. And then verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So he tells them, he gives them this picture of marriage. The man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What's interesting about this is that by the time Moses actually puts pen to paper on this, that the culture has completely drifted away from this. Where what was cultural practice all throughout the, the ancient world was that if you got married, you went back to the husband's parents' house. A whole lot of ladies just got nervous. That was the cultural practice of the day. That they had drifted so far of what God's original intention was that you got married and went back to your husband's house with your in-laws and all of his siblings and all that stuff, and you lived there. But what was God's intention? That you shall leave the father and mother, and these two become one. That these two now become their own family. They leave the father and the mother. And what's the result of this? And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There was peace. There was harmony in God's created order. 
So God creates, God commissions and commands. He tells them exactly what they are to do, exactly how they are to live, what they are to eat, what they are not to eat. But then lastly, God cares enough about his creation. He goes, I'm going to give you somebody to do life right alongside you. And so he gives them Eve and he connects them together. So this is the starting point of the gospel. What we need to understand when we discuss the gospel, the starting point is creation. Starting point's creation. And so this brings us to our central idea this morning. It's this, God creates mankind then commands and commissions them to be his representative to the rest of creation, connecting them with all they need to accomplish the task. God creates mankind and commands and commissions them to be his representative to the rest of creation, connecting them with all they need to accomplish the task. This is what we see from Genesis 1 and 2, that God creates out of nothing. He speaks, things come into existence. He has the crowning jewel of his creation, mankind, the only thing that's in his image. He gives them a task. He gives them a standard. Then he also blesses them by connecting them with a helper to come alongside them and do life with them. This is creation in a nutshell. And so three points of application I want us to take from this as the band comes back to the stage. First is this, God is the creator and we are his creation. This seems rather simple, doesn't it? Like God is God and we are not. But how many headaches do we run into on a regular basis by trying to believe that we are God? How many times do we run our head into the wall trying to act like we are God? As though this is our creation, as though the world revolves around us. And we'll get mad and frustrated. And we may not outright say, I think I'm God, but we can act and live like it sometimes. We can go about our business as though we are the creator instead of the creation. We must be reminded that God is God and we are not And God is God, and he is a big God. He's a powerful God. He's a mighty God. In the late 1970s, there was a NASA Voyager that was sent out. And its sole goal was just to take pictures and to relay those pictures back to Earth. And then in the early 1990s, it sent a picture back, and we, we have it. It's a a beautiful picture, isn't it? 
This is a rather famous picture known as the pale blue dot. And if you see in that kind of right there, there's a pale dot right in that beam of light. That's Earth from Voyager 1. That pale blue dot, again, this picture was taken in 1990, so I wasn't even on that dot yet. But that's where we are in the pale blue dot. Now, why do I say that? Because that's incredibly small. In the grand scheme of the universe, it's incredibly insignificant compared to everything else that's in the universe. And so if creation revolves around us, then what's the point of everything else? But what if creation doesn't revolve around us? What if creation itself is the very marker and identifier of a God who is immensely powerful, immensely large? Then that's probably the right size. But here's what's crazy. That the God who created that expanse, the God who hung that tiny rock, in orbit created you, created me. The God who knows the exact location of every star in the universe also knows every fiber of your being. And so how often do we try to place ourselves in God's shoes and we think we can wear them, but those shoes are far too large for us to ever begin to put on. So we have to understand the first point of this in God's creation. He is the creator. We are the creation. We are not God. We're simply his creation. But then two, we are accountable to him. We're accountable to him. That just as God commanded them and commissioned them that they were to be fruitful, multiply, to work and to keep the creation, to do all of these things God had commanded them, mankind was accountable to him. And now we know the rest of the story that we're gonna look at next week. that they had these commands of how they were to live, what their purpose in creation was, and this standard of righteousness that God had given them everything else that they could enjoy. But he said, this one will kill you. And we know that they're gonna choose the one that would kill them and they were accountable to him. 
And for you and I today, as God's creation, we are still accountable to him. Like you're not accountable to me. You're not accountable to a deacon. You're not accountable to anyone else but God. We are accountable to him. And then the final point, there is goodness in God's created order. There is goodness in God's created order. So God is the creator, we are his creation, we are accountable to him. And then there is goodness in God's created order that all throughout this text, we see this was good, this was good, this was good. Man alone, not good, but so I'll make a helper fit for him. This is good. And that when mankind operates in God's created order, there is human flourishing that takes place. That when a husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church, there is flourishing that takes place. When parents raise children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, there's flourishing that takes place. Now we can look at our experience to go, I can see sometimes that's not the case. It's because we're broken. Because the fall that we're going to look at next week takes place. But in God's created order, there is goodness that takes place. There is flourishing that happens. And so as we wrap up today, I just want us to pause and just to think about the God of creation. The God who created, the God who was not in need of anything. That God didn't need you and I. God is perfectly self-sufficient. God has all the relationship he could ever want in the triune Godhead. Eternally existing. And yet, out of the overflow of that love, God said, I'm going to make a creation. I'm going to make a mankind in my image so that they can be an object of my grace and my mercy. He didn't need you and I. We don't, we don't exist to fill some human-sized void in God's heart. We exist out of the overflow when God says, I'm going to make a creation and I'm going to demonstrate my grace and my mercy on them. That's a God worthy of every ounce of praise and worship we can give him. So as we close today, if you need to come pray, this altar's open. I'll be standing over here to the side. But I just want us to pause and just worship the God who's big enough 
and mighty enough that he created that pale blue dot and placed you on it to be an object of his grace and his mercy. So what is the gospel? Creation. Step one. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. God, thank you that you are a mighty God, that you are a creator, that you spoke and things come into existence. But God, not only that, that you said, let us make man in our image, and you molded us, and you formed us, and you placed us on this earth, and you gave us a task to be your representative to the rest of creation. And God, even in our brokenness and even in our sin, you're still a mighty God. So God, help us now to make much of you, to respond to you, to glorify you, to respond to the God who is the creator of the universe. We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and respond today. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave.
with you this week we're we're really excited we've got um, our mid first wednesday night connect we're going to meet at midland park at six o'clock and so we're going to have a tent and some waters out there and all we're trying to do is just kind of spread out throughout the park we just want to have conversations with folks we'll have some information about the church there and we're really all we're trying to do is we're trying to scatter be in the community, be involved, and just have conversations and get to know folks. And so that's this Wednesday night at 6 o'clock at Midland Park. And so just invite you to be there as we go out and we take part in that. And so that's coming up. We've got a few other things you can see on the bulletin, a few other calendar items coming up. Um, but be in prayer. We've got a lot of stuff coming up. We're getting ready for August. It's already here. What, mid-July now? Um, and so looking forward as we get back ready for school starting back. And so be on the lookout as we send out some more information there. And so before we dismiss, I'm going to ask Mike to close us in prayer. Amen. And before I close in prayer, because he wouldn't announce this, I'm going to. I want to remind you all, today at 2 o'clock, we are so happy to have Zach Whitney and Sophie living in our community. And we want to have a little housewarming shower for them. 2 o'clock today in the fellowship hall. Uh, be there and just uh, enjoy time, welcome them, and whatever thing you've got off the registration thing for their home, be there, and let's, uh, let's just have a good time and welcome them to our area, okay? Amen. Let's pray together, and we will be dismissed. God, we love you, and thank you for this day. God, thank you for, God, just thank you for so much. We just, wonderful lesson this morning, and God, and then the wonderful message today, Lord, we just praise you and, and thank you, God, that you loved us so much you set us apart as your most prized creation, God. And I pray that you'd be with us and help us to grow and to become what you've created us to be and to do, Lord. So guide us and use us, God, even this week as we go about Wednesday night and, and, and meeting and greeting and sharing that gospel that is so important to us all, Lord. I pray that you'd bless and use us for that event. And as we go, just go through life, Lord, as we meet, that we'd share your love, live the way that you've called us to live and to be that Christian that, God, we, we're here to be. God, we thank you again for loving us so very much and for this time together today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.
something very similar to that that was very popular. There, and your daddy, granddaddy rather, sang it. There's going to be a payday someday. 